Never forget. Never again. It's a t-shirt that is now available for your purchase at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. And I must admit, dear listener, that I have sincerely and seriously wrestled with the idea of whether to release this t-shirt because some may say upon watching or looking at the t-shirt that, oh, he's just trying to profit off of uh, black pain. And I've thought about the implications of that. The reason I have decided to put this t-shirt out available for your purchase is because I think it's important that we never forget. That we never forget. We cannot forget enslavement. And we've got to remind people. And that's really the part of it for me. That really is the motivating factor, the education. And I really want you to go to the dash politocrat.myshopify.com and click on the t-shirt and you will see it. It's the never forget t-shirt and there are three different colors, one in white, one in red and one in black. And you will know why those colors, those three particular colors are used. It's very deliberate and not accidental. On the front, it says there's an auction notice. You will see it. And beneath beneath that, it says, never forget. On the back, the logo for the podcast and also the words, never again. So please take a look at this T-shirt. I would like you to purchase it, of course, but I would like you to wear it to spread awareness and education and to force conversations to happen because believe you me, this particular T-shirt will do just that. Thank you for your support. And again, Never, ever forget. Never again. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, March the 24th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat... A dissection of the reporting on the terrorist attack in the Atlanta metropolitan area against six Asian women and two other people. How one publication frames a defense for the guilty party. Yeah, I know. Innocent before proven guilty. Driven to tears by the police. Welcome back. I I want to talk about what's happened here these last seven or eight days in Atlanta and in Boulder. Those two places are two of the places that are getting the most attention, but there are gun crimes and gun violence all over this country and all uh, 
I mean, literally all over the state of Georgia and all over the state of Colorado. I mean, there are gun violence events that happen or incidents that happen all the time. I mean, in Atlanta, for example, there were three shootings within the space of two hours very recently, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And they are all being investigated. These shootings didn't result in anybody being killed. And I dare say that they probably wouldn't have made national news simply because only no one got killed. Or if only one person, I should never say only because that's someone's parents, that's someone's mother or father or, you know, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, spouse, etc., etc. So there's never an only. But this is what the corporate news media does. It covers death counts. And I think that's really insidious. And it doesn't cover the problems behind the death counts. It doesn't cover the problems. Well, obviously, someone dying is a problem. But I am, again, I hesitate to keep using but. Uh, but yet I do use it. <laughs> what I'm saying, dear listener, is that there is a problem that is larger, that is a connective tissue to the end result, which is eight people dead in the Atlanta area, which is 10 people dead in Boulder, Colorado, which is eight people or nine people dead at Mother Emanuel AME Church, which is Breonna Taylor dead in her own bed. George Floyd dead. Nine and a half minutes, nine minutes almost of an execution. And then there's the corporate news media, which seems to explain away some of these events. Uh, I looked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I've had on a couple of people from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I'm certainly not saying it's their fault. It's not. They are not the editors of the AJC. But I, I have to say, and I've had both both of these guests on my podcast over the last, um, I guess, six to seven months or six or eight months, six, seven or eight months or so. Um, and they've been really good. Um, and I appreciate them both on the podcast, Tia and Jim. Jim actually has retired from the, Jim Galloway has retired. I believe this is his last name, my goodness. Jim Galloway has retired from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution after 40-plus years of reporting there, and he retired recently of the last month or two or so. And uh, Tia is at the Washington, excuse me, at the Washington Bureau. She's the Washington uh, reporter for the D.C. reporter, Washington, D.C., reporter for the AJC. And she's been on a couple of times and provided some really good information and analysis on the Georgia Senate races and on politics. And uh, I'm truly thankful for her and for what she brings in her job every day at the AJC. Does an excellent job. That's why I have someone like Tia on, you know, because she's really good at what she does. And, and I really appreciate her work. 
It's the people who make the decisions, not just at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but any of these newspapers or any of these media outlets or any of these cable news stations to start to talk about things that, while merit some conversation and discussion, lump them in in the event of what in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area, was clearly a hate crime. And it was two hate crimes, hatred against women and hatred against Asians. Can we just get that straight? It's two hate crimes. And why not also prosecute this for two hate crimes? And women as a targeted gender, that's also a hate crime. I don't think we have any hate crime statutes on the books anywhere in America that punishes the attack on someone's gender as a hate crime, which I think it surely is. Seven of the eight victims were female. Six of those victims were Asian. The other was a Latina. And one was a white man. So that was the eight, those were the eight people, eight victims. And I need to get their names. I had their names coming in and I now, good grief, cannot find their names. And that's just annoying to me. I'm going to see if I can get those names and, and give them out because they need to be, they need to be said. And I said yesterday, something that was really silly, which was, I don't need to know their names. And I corrected that. I do need to know their names. I do need to know them. And... I think I was genuflecting at the point I was making not well was that I need to know the lobbyist names, the names of these people who gleefully push for these uh, guns to be sold anywhere and gleefully push against any notion of background checks. So that's that's what, really what I was trying to get at. But I need I'm going to put their names. I'm going to announce their names here. Uh, in the next block, and also the names of those in Colorado. What I, I, I think is, is just, um, I, I find this, dear listener, to be some, somewhat incomprehensible, is, but I know why I think it's being done. It's being done to deflect away from the crime. Why, why is it that we aren't hearing even more or much more about the killer, Robert Aaron Long in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area. Why are we hearing from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution at least about, oh, massage parlors, they're operating and they're operating illicitly and they're doing this and Georgia hasn't done enough to, to lock them down and, oh dear, and you know, women are being trafficked. You know, here's my thing. There are things that can be true at once. It's one of my most infamously, well, it's one of the phrases I am fed up of hearing, but it's a phrase that is true. Two things can be true at once. But what my thing is in this case, what my issue is, and the article is called Before Killing Spree, Georgia Let an Industry That Exploits Asian Women Flourish. It's by Johnny Edwards and Alan Judd, both of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm going to put a link to this. And I'd like you to read it and I wonder what you might make of it. But I find this really interesting. The, 
yes, I think there should be some kind of explanation or reporting on these parlors that exploit women, of course. But where was that investigation six months ago, a year ago, five years ago? Why did you have to wait until some white guy or any person, in this case, a white guy, terrorist, kills seven women, six of them Asian, before you decide to do this story about why Georgia let a, an industry that lets ex, uh, exploited women flow? What? Like you care, as if you care about Asian women to begin with. I mean, I don't hear you doing these stories. Maybe you do a story here and a story there, but where is your big... Ex- and I'd love to talk to Johnny Edwards and Alan Judd. I honestly would like to have mom. Not to be uh, a gotcha, but just to talk about some of why now? Why was this story put out there now? I mean, I really would. Maybe just to talk to them off record and then relay it back because I don't want to turn this into a spectacle of the the kind of boring, predictable ass stuff that you get from a lot of these hacks now, which is I'm going to play gotcha instead of just trying to elicit information and making it clear to the viewer, okay, he or she or they are not answering this or that or the other question. You are left to decide, make your decision as you will. There is now a journalism that has to bore holes in certain things that are trivial, quite frankly. Some of them are not. Now, there are some people who need to be cross-examined when they come on air. But my whole question is, is why do you, producer, why do you, news boss, newsroom boss, elect to have them on in the first place? And if you elect to have them on in the first place to make a spectacle out of things, you're complicit with them for ratings. But I, I think, dear listen, my whole issue with these stories is these stories are only brought out after the fact. And I think it's a, a story that's worth talking about and it should be talked about. But you conflate all of these things together. And you do so without really asking about the society in which this is happening in. So even if you are going to do a story, like before Killing Spree, Georgia let an industry that exploits Asian women flourish. That's the title of it by the headline writers, not by, they didn't, the two guys, Johnny Edwards and Alan Judd, and I don't know if they're white or not. Maybe that matters, maybe it doesn't. But they are men, and maybe that matters, or maybe it doesn't. But whoever wrote that headline, and the positioning and juxtaposition of that story, consonant with what this Robert Aaron Long, 21-year-old white male terrorist, did a week ago yesterday, I think is somewhat insidious. And, oh, it's about this and about that. And, oh, she touched him in his groin area and made a signal for masturbation and da-da-da-da-da-da. And again, it just seems to me, just me, that these stories are coming out as if to influence a jury. A prospective 
jury of Robert Aaron Long's peers. Because I'll tell you why I feel that way, dear listener. Last week, and I played the sound for you on this podcast last week, you had that sheriff from Cherokee County in Georgia talking about, well, the suspect said that he had a sex addiction and yeah, and you know, he wanted to do something about it. Highly unusual thing for a police chief or police sheriff or whomever the heck it is, someone in law enforcement to not just say that we seem to think that sex may have been involved. We may seem to think that there's an issue of sex here. But to actually say the suspect said, as if he's the blooming suspect's defense attorney. Highly unusual. And I wonder, since no one seems to be doing any digging on this, whether or not this guy is connected, this white guy who executed eight people, whether he has connections to a rich parent or a powerful parent or a powerful someone or other. Or if it's just simply that the white sheriff, male sheriff, felt compelled to defend the white male killer. Is it, does it just come down to that, dear listener, do you think? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, really, it's a question to be left out there for your own thought, if you so desire. But you would never hear a sheriff, white, black, Asian, or otherwise, Latino, talking about some black person with some addiction. Oh, he had a drug addiction and he needed to resolve it. Could you imagine that? Oh, this black person... You know, they had a a drug addiction and they smoked some crack and, you know, this massage parlor was well known for, for smoke, for selling crack. And he decided that he had to do something about that addiction that he had. Can you imagine that? Because that would never happen, would it now? You know that. You know that wouldn't happen. You know that some white police chief or black police chief or an Asian or Latino police chief or a native police chief would get up there and offer an excuse for a suspect who is black. They've never done it and they never will. So why this white guy? It's a somewhat rhetorical question, but why? I'm asking. And these stories that come out, seem again to already on a very subliminal and subconscious level create an atmosphere in Atlanta, in the Atlanta metropolitan area and in the United States and not just the state of Georgia that operate within the mindset of Robert Aaron Long, a killer and not on the mindset of protecting or at least rather examining 
the society that perpetuates misogyny, perpetuates violence against women, and the patriarchy itself, which profits off of all of these things. And the Atlanta Journal of Constitution's two writers, I don't know who told them to do this story. Their editor probably told them, yeah, Johnny, and yeah, you know, whatever his other, the other person's name is. Now skipped past the name. Yeah, Johnny, yeah, Alan, you can write a story about this. And I think that this is kind of a story that, look, journalism is important and you need it. I just question the timing of these things. These stories don't necessarily pop up when white women are victimized, is my point. Not necessarily. They may, but perhaps the timing of it may be different. And I think it's the way that we here in America, on a larger point that I want to make here, dear listener, is the way we have conversations about issues and serious things like this. And I think as James Baldwin, who you know, dear listener, that I like to frequently invoke here. I think he's one of the greatest intellectuals this country has ever had. And one of the five greatest intellectuals of the 20th century and and one of the greatest intellectuals ever is James Arthur Baldwin. There's no question about that in my view. Had he been a white man, he would be celebrated much more than he is now. There's no question about that. As a black man, he's celebrated, but I don't think he's exalted to really where he should be. And I guess after a while, it's not about exaltation. I think the reason why I say that is because look at all of these people that you learn of who get exalted and half of them were misogynistic pigs at best, at best. And I hate to use the word best when I use the words misogynistic pig, but that's what these, you know what are, were. As far as I know, James Baldwin did not engage in any misogyny. And from all the works of his that I've read, I mean, come on. But I, I mean, my whole point here is about the culture, the culture that does not examine the acts of a violent white person, especially a violent white man, but instead seeks to explain away and rationalize what he has allegedly done or in fact done while ignoring A, what he's done, B, the larger society that allows him to do it, and C, the conditions and climate in that society that tells him that it is okay. Who is it that sexualizes Asian women? Who is it that does that? Who is it in the media that does that? Who is it that 
has Hollywood movies out and oftentimes the only Asian woman you see is someone who is sexualized. Who does that? Who does movies like The Last Samurai and then has parties, premieres, where you've got white women or Asian women there as geishas adorning the blooming red carpet or, you know, standing around. Who does that kind of thing? I mean, who is it? Warner Brothers has the premiere for it in 2003 is when it came out. And all these geishas and all this stuff and they were, either they were going to do it or they did it or whatever. But who's making that decision? And that's what I'm talking about. That does not ever get examined. Who's making that decision? The only Asian people. Who's making that decision when you're making a movie and the only female characters are ones that are in the bedroom? Huh? Say, say who? Who is making that decision? I ask it rhetorically, of course. But that's not an article or a story that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is going to really do. They're not going to touch that. But they should be touching that. Because really, that's the bedrock, isn't it? And if you don't examine the society in which all of these things happen, then not only do you fail to educate your public that you are calling your readership, but you too are also perpetuating and allowing the condition that creates the misogynistic and patriarchy oppression and the trafficking of women to continue to exist in the first place. And again, the man, the male actor, not Hollywood or film, the male actor, in this case, the terrorist, is essentially let off the hook. The white male terrorist. Where are the probing examinations into Robert Aaron Long? That's where the focus should be. Or is it that you're too busy protecting the innocent until proven guilty adage before you run a story on him? Now, AJC has probably done some stories on him. I haven't, to be frank, full disclosure. I'm saying this having not read through all of AJC's stories. So I need to damn well do that, right? I guess before I even say some of what I've said. However... However, I do think that this putting the blame really on Asian women and putting the blame on these authorities or putting the blame on, oh, 
Local governments, this is the subtitle of this AJC story. Local governments have tried to crack down, but an invisible population remains vulnerable. Like you really care about Asian women. Do you? I mean, is that really the focus? Again, it's about the way we talk about all of these things. And I think often there is a rush by editors in newsrooms to conflate all of these things without having any semblance of a thoughtful discussion and an important moment to educate people. There are layers, but can we actually apportion these conversations and we can perhaps link them but let's do that in a responsible way. Surely there's a way we can do that, can we not? It's what Natalie Collins said to me last week on this podcast. We need to be able to have nuanced conversations, she said, about race and about gender. We have to talk about both of those things. And absolutely, again, I agree with Natalie. And what the media is doing is making this solely one thing. Oh, and well, the authorities haven't decided yet whether or not it's a hate crime. They've not decided whether they charge it based on a race or a hate crime. That's what we always do here in America, isn't it? We always do an either or analysis. Not all of us, but I'm saying you, we as the culture, as a culture do that, as a society do that. Those in society who produce the manufactured consent that we are, that, that is manufactured to us as an American public. They are the ones that do that kind of analysis, which is, well, it's either or. You know, this binary choice, but it's never this conjunctive or rarely is these or are these kinds of conversations produced in a conjunctive way? It's clearly an attack on Asians. This is clearly an assassination of Asian people. Clearly. I mean, just look. Even if it was just two or one, just, I keep saying, this. even if, if one person or two people were attacked. It's a hate crime. White man goes and shoots two Asian, kills two Asian people. It's a hate crime. All of these things, and people are incapable of having conversations about race and about gender. But what they do love to conflate, people, meaning people in the media, some of them, will love to conflate this kind of a story from the AJC. Oh, six large red arrows point to the entranceway of Aromatherapy Spa on Atlanta's Piedmont Road. Beacons to those seeking untold pleasures within. That's the way Johnny Edwards and Alan Judd begin their story. <laughs> I mean, 
talk about justifying, right? So now you've already set this up as, ooh, you know, consonant with the sheriff from Cherokee County. Oh, well, he had a sex addiction. So this is how the AJC follows up with that, creates the defense for him, creates this so-called justification for him. Oh, isn't he a poor, betrodden soul? He had a sex addiction. Six large red arrows point to the entrance of Aroma Therapy Spa on Atlanta's Piedmont Road. Beacons to those seeking untold pleasures within. And I know that's the way I'm saying, that's my voice, right? And I'm inflecting and putting a spin on or putting an emphasis on. But I am reading it because that is what the mind is picking up. The voice and the tone in which I just said that is the way that I think some people, some men perhaps, or anybody, women, men, whomever, right, may pick that sentence up in their brains. I'm talking about the subliminal and subconscious things that are done in news stories. And both of these writers are male. Next sentence. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to make this point. Robert Aaron Long. So now you've named the person, the suspect, the killer, the terrorist, who has done this, right? So you've now, in the next sentence, you'd name him. So you connect what I just read out in that voice <laughs> to his name. Because, of course, he was the person that killed people in the aromatherapy aromatherapy spa. But what you're really doing is you are providing, in my view, a justification for him. Consonant with what that stinking sheriff said last week. Oh, he was trying to resolve his sex addiction and... Oh, well, he told us that. <laughs> Come on. Robert Aaron Long claimed. So now they're using what he claims. So now they're using his defense. This is just crazy. I really would like to talk to these two journalists. Honestly. And just ask them about this. And just say, I don't understand. I'm just curious, why does this, this article come out now? Robert Aaron Long claimed he found, this is the next sentence, please, I'm going to read this and get through it. Robert Aaron Long claimed he found the invitation irresistible. The 21-year-old from Woodstock frequented aromatherapy, as well as the gold spa directly across the street, establishments open around the clock and whose advertisements feature women, particularly Asian women, in suggestive poses. Then it goes on to talk about him buying a 9mm handgun, went to three different spas. Now, let me tell you something. Here's the last part of that next paragraph. Again, I'm going to put this, this particular article on the liner notes of this episode. The, 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 next, the end of the next paragraph is, his motives remain the subject of investigation, but he told police he was trying to purge the sources of temptations while battling sex addiction. Now, wait a minute now. Wait a freaking minute. Why is there this 
rebroadcasting of what he was trying to do. You are creating his defense. This didn't happen with the exonerated five. Those headlines were all about hang them high. It's a Clint Eastwood movie, by the way. Hang them high. Did you ever, I don't know if you ever saw it. It was back in the 1970s, as I remember it. It was all, I still have the newspaper clippings. April the 20th, 1989, the day or two after, the 21st, I think it was, was the day or two after what happened. Because what happened to uh, Patricia Miley in Central Park happened April 19th. These young innocent boys were picked up that night. And the day or two later, New York Times route. I mean, come on. I still have the clippings. Youths rape and beat jogger. They just came out and said it. And they, they, they were basically calling for these guys to be strung from the highest tree. Trump piled on. All of them did. They were all in league. But here in 2021, oh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution says, oh, the killer, oh, who killed eight human beings, oh, he has some sex addiction issue. And you see the same kind of garbage with courts that invent or defense attorneys or judges that invent all of these phrases for white boys and men who do these heinous things or are accused of them. Remember what happened in Texas where that drunk, so-called, white guy ran over, he was, I don't know, 16 to 17 years old, killer, ran over like seven or eight people in Texas, and I think the defense attorney or the judge allowed the defense of affluenza. Oh, he was so rich and so removed. (laughs) This is an actual defense that was allowed to be used in a courtroom. He was so rich and so removed from everyday life, this white guy, that he had no idea what he was doing. Affluenza. He couldn't be held responsible. <laughs> it's not funny because people died. but And also because we've got a sick society that uses this frame for white men and white males. Same thing with the guy a couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago, who, while broadcasting and broadcasting a game with female basketball players in a high school, they were uh, doing the national anthem, and two of them, both black young girls, black girls, were black students, basketball Uh, players part of this team were kneeling silently just kneeling like they do in the Premier League like Colin Kaepernick started years ago and this white male commentator says FNNs da 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 and then said afterwards oh well my blood sugar level was high like you know all these excuses for the racist misogynistic behavior of these white Males who do these things.
I mean, that's the system that you've got here. And it's working pretty damn well for those white males who find themselves doing what they do. It's not that they find themselves. It's like they do this. They execute black people. They execute Asian people. And then the society at large, the powers in the society, rush to excuse them. Or at least some of the powers do. Because certainly the mayor of Atlanta wasn't. Certainly President Biden wasn't. Certainly Vice President Harris wasn't. These Republicans kind of try to intimate that maybe there was something else going on here. Some of them do. Now, they still want guns out there. They still want people to have their guns. There's lots of issues to discuss with this terrorist attack last week in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area. But I think that when you try to make, make conjunctions out of these issues, you've got to educate your readership and stop strategically placing news stories in without really educating people. Because this stuff is subtle and then it's also very obvious at the same time. And I think what these news organizations must do is, well, they won't do it anyway, but here's what I would do, is show that you really do care about these particular women who have been killed by doing stories about them year round or doing stories about different facets of their lives. Instead of doing a story like I've talked about before, we need to have a welcoming culture in this country. And we don't. We pretend that we do because we've got Lady Liberty in the, in the, on Liberty Island in New York. We've got Lady Liberty and that's really the extent of our metaphorical welcome. But once you get here as an immigrant, those of you who are here as immigrants and not here in as as uh, my ancestors were brought in chains as part of the, you know, I mean, goodness gracious me. Right. If, 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 you, if you're not someone whose ancestors were, were brought to different parts of the, the world, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, enslavement trade then you're an immigrant coming here. And we're all immigrants in that way. Because the Native American is the person who is the landlord of this country, or was. It's their soil, it's their land. But, uh, you know, why, why are we... We need to start welcoming people, is my point. I said this before a few days ago. And we can't wait until another, yet another Asian person is killed or violently attacked to start saying, oh, stop the hate. Oh, stop this. Oh, don't do that. Of course we want to stop it, but that should have been the climate to begin with. You need to have a proactive approach to this. And then not only the proactive approach, it's got to be a, got to be a welcoming approach. So that there's inclusiveness. There is, in all of these dimensions, and not just for those who are in upper classes, because that does happen. I'm talking about the everyday Asian person who has just come here from 
Taiwan or who has just come here from Hong Kong or who has just come here from some other Asian country. There's many Asian countries. I mean, name, name one. There's, a, there's a lots of different countries. That's the work that needs to be done. Instead of these articles that come out now after six Asian women have been gunned down. Oh, now we care about Asian women being trafficked. Now we care about, well, maybe this massage parlor, well, maybe they brought it on themselves because they supposedly had people doing hand jobs, happy endings. Uh, I mean, really, is this really how we have the conversations about this? We do have a very juvenile way of having conversations in the United States. In many instances, not in all instances, because that's just not fair and it's not correct. There are many conversations that are had in this country around very key and important issues and very serious issues that are done with great depth, sensitivity, awareness, and intelligence. And then there are these broad strokes discussions that are done in a very juvenile, immature way. And the angle upon which they are tackled is very juvenile, insincere, and immature. And I kind of tend to think that this is part of that, this AJC article. And some of the news coverage, even the local news coverage. And really, what are we looking at here when you've started your story with, oh, the arrows beckon people seeking those untold pleasures. And then the very next sentence is the name of the killer. Why didn't you then, if you really cared about doing a story about Asian women and trafficking and all these kinds of things, which are very serious issues that need to be looked at, any woman in general who's trafficked, that is very serious. Why didn't you strip away the name of the killer and then just deal with the issue specifically? Huh? Why, why not? Wouldn't that have been acceptable? Why has it got to be only now when eight people are dead, six of them Asian women, seven of them women overall, including a Latina? Why is it then that you're now writing about, oh, a massage parlor? Unless, and then you're using the name of the killer or the alleged killer in that article. So you're doing it for another reason, aren't you? You're doing it because you're creating now a climate, a subliminal climate to prospective jurors that, oh, he can't be charged, he can't be guilty because he had an addiction. Oh, he had a sex addiction. And so therefore, there couldn't really be a hate crime here, could there be? That's the thing. That's the thing that's going on here in my view. That's what's going on here. You're already tainting the jury pool before it's selected, aren't you? And that's what I think. I think that's just, it's inescapable, isn't it? I mean, the jury pool was tainted anyway. This hatred and racism against Asian people. I mean, there's enough. There's, I mean, come on. Whole country's been practicing 
anti-Asian racism and, and violence against Asian people for over 100 years at least here. I told you about the Charlie Chan movies. That in, in and of itself is a different form of violence. But it's, again, this is part of the, the culture of the country. But why is that article being written now? And why wasn't it written a month ago? And why, if you are writing it now, and if you claim to care about trafficking and about alleged happy endings going on at Aroma Therapy Spa or any of these other massage parlors, why didn't you just write an article without using the name of this guy? Why didn't you just do an expose on the on that issue and have some real genuine conversation around it? And even they even put in the article, right? They even put in the article, well, we're sensitive to the fact that, you know, there are victims here and da 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 You've got to read this article. And, and I'm telling you, yeah, I'd really like to know what people think about this. And yes, they've done stories, 2012, massage parlor fight intensifies. But does this not get away from the fact that this terrorist killed eight people? Do you not think that this article is part of the, an evasion tactic versus the exonerated five in Central Park where 32 years ago almost, every one of those news stories was those guys are guilty, those guys are guilty, they're guilty as sin. Those boys did it, those boys did it, those boys did it to that jogger. Oh, the boys that they're talking about, the exonerated five, oh yeah, oh, they're black and Latino. Whether it's senseless violence we've seen play out in our streets or more targeted violence like we saw on yesterday, a crime against any community is a crime against us all. I've been in contact uh, with the White House. I uh, spoke with someone last night and again this morning. Um, of course, President Biden uh, offers his full support and concern uh, to our great state. And the White House has offered to support us with any additional resources and support that we need as we continue, not just this investigation, but as we continue to deal with the spike in crime that we have seen since uh, this pandemic began. That was the Atlanta mayor last week. That was Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Um, at a press conference a week ago today, the day then, the day after the terrorist attack in the Atlanta metropolitan area. This is really important. Uh, that um, Just thinking about this and, and, and speaking about it, verbalizing this, because I think we, we pass by things like this so often. Even in that Atlanta Journal-Constitution article, 
there was, and you can read it, again, I'll link to it. There was a, uh, a statement made or in the article that said one of the victims had been charged with some trafficking or some kind of thing. And by the way, it's the same person who has now uh, in, in death, uh, thanks to Randy Park's GoFundMe page, is the same person that's now raised, uh, Randy Park has now raised nearly $3 million for his late mother, whom the Atlanta Journal-Constitution says had been charged with all kinds of things to do with the massage parlor that she was a part of or ran. And so this kind of um, smearing of the victim is just particularly insidious, in my view. And maybe the person may well have had some charges levied against her, which I think the article goes on to say, if I remember correctly, um, she pleaded no contest to. But why is that information relevant here? Again, it's like what happens to Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, I can go on and on. There's always this demonization of the dead person. Breonna Taylor, oh, well, her boyfriend and this ex-boyfriend and maybe she, I mean, all of this, this is very, very common to us as black people. We are so thoroughly Used to, sadly, but we are, to this continuing demonization of us as we are shot dead by police. Demonization. Demonization. And it's happening here to Asian women. Maybe the person had been charged with some issues regarding the massage parlor, maybe not. But what's that got to do with the fact that she was gunned the hell down by this white male terrorist? Why is that information necessary to tell us? Again, I contend, dear listener, that this is about trying to condition a jury pool and to taint the public opinion so that when this comes to trial, whenever it does, there will be a softening in the hearts and minds of some people. And this guy was charged with murder. I'm still trying to find out what kind of murder and if Georgia has, or if Atlanta, or if Georgia particularly as a state, has statutes on its books for first-degree murder. I'm not sure whether it does or whether it does not. I will have to find out. But the articles and the reports keep saying charged with murder. Okay, what kind of murder? What type of murder? And there's no question in my mind there's got to be hate crimes charges. Civil, everything, federal, you name it. There's got to be. There's, and I know Georgia does not have a hate crime statute, by the way, which is another thing. And I think that's recently changed or is going to change because of Ahmaud Arbery. Remember Ahmaud Arbery. You do remember him, don't you? And remember Rayshard Brooks. You do remember him, don't you? Both of them were killed by police last year in the Atlanta metro area. Both of them. Well, excuse me, one of them was not in Atlanta. One of them was Ahmaud Arbery. He um, was in a different county in Georgia who he was killed while he jogged in broad daylight 
on a Sunday afternoon. Just like the Asian woman who was tossed from a car like a rag doll on a Sunday afternoon in San Francisco. Except she survived. Now, a big difference. The trauma was the trauma for sure. And a big difference between one of them surviving and one of them being gunned down by three white male terrorists. And caught on video, which I can say I still haven't seen. Um, but the, 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 but the point is, but I've heard, I've heard, I've heard the video. But, you know, the, the point being is that, you know, this is, this is the thing, right? There's no hate crime statute, at least right now. And there should be one in Georgia. And federally, there's got to be, you've got to apply this here. Got to be, got to. Clearly targeted because they were Asian women. Clearly. It's not even a question. And you're going to frame this, oh, it's a sex addiction. Well, then look at the society that produces these addictions. Look at the society that says that, oh, Asian women are ready and available for you at any turn. Look at the society. Look at the sex work industry. Nathalie Collins, again, I keep talking about Nathalie Collins because I really think that the insight she brought to this, the education she brought to this last week was really important, is really important. And she believes in abolishing the sex worker industry. And for some people that will raise, you know, she pointed out herself preemptively that people would probably think that she was some kind of bad person. But her whole point was rooted in this is part of the perpetuation of the misogyny and violence against women is to have these industries in the first place where you are commoditizing a woman's body for for sale. That's the issue is what she's talking about as a gender justice specialist. Is That's what she calls herself. So I'm talking about that too in the sense that You've got a society that sexualizes Asian women, that tells men, and this is true that the society does this of any woman, really, of many women, that to a man, a woman is here for his beck and call, his use and his disposal. I'm going to put it bluntly. That's exactly what our society tells us. If you're a man in the society, if you're a male, you learn from the giddy up that through advertising, through media, through magazines, TV ads, through whatever means, now the internet, you learn the messaging, the messen- the messages, the messaging, the companies, the businesses that promote products. You learn from an early age, right, that a woman is, or a female, I hate to use the word that way, but a woman or a girl, goodness gracious, is available to the male as a sexual object. That's what the society teaches you before you're even five years old. England, page six, page three, rather. The Sun newspaper. They've done away with that now, thank goodness. But you would see 
back in the 60s, back in the 70s, you'd see topless women on page three of a newspaper. It would be as if you opened the New York Daily News every day and on page three of the New York Daily News or the New York Post, which is probably where you would still find something like this, but it's not there, of course. But you would see on page three of the New York Times, let's say, as well. It was if you opened page three and you saw a topless woman there. I am old enough to remember these things. To know the, to have seen them. And they only stopped page three in what? 19, the 1990s? And even now there's still newspapers, I believe in England, where you can still find this. Maybe the Daily Star, I don't know, or one of these newspapers. It's a patriarchy that's doing this. It's not, it's what Mona el said in a story that she did. I'll link to that too. It's not about a sex addiction. It's a patriarchy that's doing all this stuff, that's doing all this destruction. That's where the issue is. It ain't some sex addiction. You can't examine these things without looking at the larger society that brings this stuff and implements it into your bloodstream. Who's the biggest drug dealer? I mean, that's what this is about. This is about the society that brings this stuff to you, that tells you from before you're five, that a girl or a woman is an object. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution needs to be doing stories on that. (laughs) Instead of, oh, the massage parlor, oh, this, oh, that. Not to say that that story shouldn't be done, but I am saying the story that's never done is about the patriarchy. I would like to see the AJC and other publications. And I'm sure your lovely cable news 24-hour day channel do those kinds of stories too. Wouldn't you like to see those stories about the patriarchy and how it feeds your bloodstream and the societal bloodstream of all of that kind of messaging about women, about girls? Wouldn't you like to see those critical Thinking stories, critical analysis, raising questions, exposés. Wouldn't you love to see those? And then name the men who perpetuate this stuff and the executives, the rich executives that do all of this. And the news organizations with the male, white male executives who run them and and their role in all of this. And the businesses and the people behind them that put out ads that do the, oh, here's the hot looking blonde woman, usually white, or brunette woman, usually white, walking down the street. She's wearing barely nothing. Her hair is blowing in the wind. And then there's a little boy, Johnny, usually a white boy, little boy, Johnny. And then there's a Diet Pepsi machine or a Pepsi vending machine next to him. Or something like that. And he's looking at the machine 
or at least you see him looking at the woman and the woman's all come hither with her come hither eyes. And she's striding and the camera slows down. It's slow motion. And this is a little boy. The boy's probably eight, ten years old. And then the shot of the Diet Pepsi vending machine. Oh, oh, that's what he's looking at. His mouth is open because there's Diet Pepsi. Not because there's the quote unquote hot looking brunette walking towards him. The brunette woman. It's the Diet Pepsi. Ah, the gag, right? The subliminal gag. You thought this ad was about this eight-year-old boy drooling over this, what? Presumably, what? Barely 20-year-old woman. You want to talk about some Woody Allen stuff? You know, they would never do an ad like that with someone who was... I don't want to name the actor. But they would never do that with a woman who is in her 80s or 70s. Why do you think that that ad would not be done? That Diet Pepsi. That ad is probably on YouTube somewhere, whether it's Diet Pepsi or Coke, right? You can still Google or search online that ad. You can find it. I'm not even going to put a link to it. Where you've got the guy. He's literally a kid, right? So you're indoctrinating that, that boy from an early age that... It's, it's an objectification race between a Diet Pepsi and a woman, in this case, a white woman, who is probably, what, 20, 23? Then you hear about these other stories about teachers and kids and all this stuff. But the point I'm making here is specifically about the commercial. That's where this all comes from, right? Doesn't it? Isn't that what is doing the damage? The massage parlor is the massage parlor. And we can criticize that perhaps. But I don't think you lump that in here. And you should not be doing that without examining the larger patriarchy. That's what you should be looking at. Which is what Mona Atwahi has talked about. I'll link, an, I'll link to her, her article on that. Which I think was a very good one. That, that is what you examine here. You examine the patriarchy and you not only raise questions about it, you, you, get, you try to get rid of this damn thing because it is costing lives. That's what it is. The society that says that it's okay for a person, a boy, to drool at some woman Oh, but no, he's really drooling at the Diet Pepsi. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Isn't that just lovely? The society that says that this guy, oh, he had a sex addiction and he had to resolve it. The society that says that, that has the police chief of Cherokee County, the sheriff or whomever he was, he was obviously a high-ranking police official, say that in a press conference in front of the world. Oh, it's okay. It wasn't that he hated Asian women. He had a sex addiction. He couldn't get enough Asian broads. So he had to just deal with it. Like he couldn't just deal with it at home in the privacy of his own home. He had to go out and get a gun to do it. The violence of it all. He couldn't just 
in the privacy of his own home resolve it. He had to go out and kill women. See what I'm saying? I know you do. You you clearly understand what I'm saying here. Well, I promise you, this next block, the names of those killed in both of these terrorist attacks in Boulder and in the Atlanta metro area. That's coming up next. Soon Chung Park, Hyung Jung Grant, Sunju Kim, Yong Yu, Delena Ashley Yon, Paul Andre Michels, Jai Tan, Dayu Feng. Those are the eight people who were killed a week ago yesterday. Sung Chun Park was 74 years of age. Hyung Jung Grad was 51. Sun Chu Kim was 69. Young Yu was 63. Delena Ashley Yorn was 33. She was the youngest of the eight people killed. Paul Andre Michels was 54. Jai Tan was 49. And Dayu Fang was 44 years of age. May they all rest in peace and rest in power. And I send my deepest condolences to the family members of all of those individuals that I've just read out. I should make a correction as well, by the way. I said that there there was a Latina who was killed. That is incorrect. I said that during the last block of this episode. And my apologies for... um, getting that wrong, I apologize to you. She was injured and she was not killed. So um, I just want to just make that clear. Hyung Jung Kim, known as Hyung Jung Grad, um, Kim was her maiden name, um, was the person mentioned in that story in the AJC, which I really want you to read. And um, what happened to all of the, and again, this is the same person who Ray, who, whose uh, son, Robert, uh, excuse me, um, Mr. Park um, raised, I'm forgetting his first name all of a sudden, Mr. Park had raised, uh, nearly three million, around three million dollars for her, and I just think it's disgusting that the Atlanta Journal Constitution now is slandering um, Hyung Jung Kim, Hyung Jung Grant, Jung Grant, Jung Grant. Excuse me. My apologies um, for uh, you know after her death, after her killing. It's just appalling, quite frankly. And some people will say, "Well, that's journalism." Well, I say that's a disgrace. And you've done this with Tamir Rice. You've done this with Trayvon Martin. You've done this with Michael Brown. You've done this with a million other black people. And you're doing it with Asian people as well. And I am not having it. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and, uh, and uh, s- stay silent on it. I'm just not. 
It's appalling. Eight people who should still be here with us all. We need to end these attacks, end this violence against Asian people. We need to end this violence against black people. We need to end this violence, period. End this violence against brown people. We need to end violence. And we need to start looking at welcoming people from the giddy up rather than at the end of it all when eight people are killed start to offer all of these things it's a bit late then isn't it now those are the eight people and it's horrible what happened to them you read the story it's, it's, it doesn't make for pretty reading and why would it it's just awful what happened to them how graphic and how awful their, the end of their life was how their lives ended it's horrible it's really horrible. You may not want to read the entire thing. See, families, just like there are other families all over the United States of America who go through this every single day where they have lost someone they love to gun violence. And they never get headlines. Never get GoFundMe pages. And if they get put up, they barely make a dent. One of the people who survived an attack, an Asian woman, I believe she was in there 70, 77 years old, survived an attack here in San Francisco. And she's had nearly a million dollars raised on her GoFundMe page that was set up by her grandson. And now what she, and I forget her name, is doing is giving all of that money that's been donated to her back to the Asian community. And I think that's a great thing to do. What a selfless gesture, by the way. And so that community, that community now is going to benefit from that money. So collectively, and that's a really good thing. That's what cultures who care about people do, right? African cultures are oriented like this too. And, and I think that takes some real selflessness to do. And so kudos to that individual. And by the way, I'm also going to link to a story that's written in Pop Sugar. And it's written by Yurin Kim. And it's called, it's written today, March the 24th, 2021. The title, Respecting the Victims in the Atlanta Spa Shootings Means Getting Their Names Right. You heard me stumbling over a, a couple of names. And it actually was the Anglo name that I stumbled over, not the Asian name. Uh, although, or the Korean name, although I may not have pronounced those correctly. And I apologize for that in advance. I really do, because we do have to get these names right. And what Yurin Kim writes, I think is also very pertinent and important. And she needs, she um, is, this is really good. And this is one of the things I'll read really quickly. Their names deserve to be identified accurately. Their lives deserve to be honored with dignity. Absolutely. I, I 100% second that. And um, I, I hope that many of you or all of you rather listening would uh, would third it and everything else it um, right on. I mean, they do. We need to talk about their lives. I mean, here I am spending the last hour talking largely about the end of their lives. So shame on me. 
Um, I really need to be doing an episode about celebrating their lives and who they were. And that's the important thing here. It really is. And I'm going to link to that article that she wrote, Yeren Kim, today in Pop Sugar Culture. Um, popsugar.com, respecting the victims in the Atlanta spa shootings means getting their names right. That's going to be linked in the liner notes of this episode, as well as Mona el article about the patriarchy is killing us, not sex addiction. A very important article as well, as well as the AJC article I've spent much of this podcast episode talking about, um, which I really criticize, quite frankly, because the way it frames, the frame of it is, oh, this guy, oh, these... The lights and the arrows beckoned. Not the patriarchy that beckons. Not the patriarchy that puts women on a slab as if they are meat. Not, not, no, but no, the massage parlor does. As if you not, as if you're going to examine that and not the larger society and the patriarchy that perpetuates and perpetrates these kinds of things. It's just silly. It's like examining the shoelaces without examining the whole shoe. How can you possibly be honest about wanting to deal with and end a problem, solve a problem and fix something if you're only going to examine the shoelaces and not the blooming shoe that they are a part of, that they are literally tied to? That's what a patriarchy does too. Right is examine things half-assed and half-baked without really doing the real, sincere, honest investigation and analysis and action that is required to get rid of this scourge of violence. It's patently dishonest. The names of the ten people killed in Boulder, Colorado, just to take two days ago. Eric Talley. 51 years of age, police officer. Terry Liker, 51 years of age. Denny Stong, 20 years of age. He's the youngest person who was killed in the terrorist attack in Boulder. Nevin Stanisic, 23. Ricky Olds, 25. Trelona Barkoviak, 49. Suzanne Fountain, 59. Kevin Mahoney, 61. Lynn Murray, 62. Jody Waters, 65. May they all rest in peace and rest in power. My condolences, heartfelt condolences to their families, the grief and pain that they are all going through right now is just incomprehensible to those of us who have not suffered loss and who have not understand understood what that means when you lose a loved one 
whether it's to gun violence, whether it's to a health problem, but to gun violence in particular, that those were otherwise healthy people and then they were gunned down. And, you know, that's, that's the additional pain that is added to that loss. And so, again, to all of those and all of those in the country and around the world, but particularly here in the U.S., because we do this better than anyone, don't we? All of those here in the United States and anywhere else who are um, victimized, targeted by gun violence and those families of those who've lost people to gun violence, my sincerest, deepest condolences to you. Six of those victims, uh, those persons killed were women, four of them men. And in the Atlanta massacre, the Atlanta terrorist attack last week, seven were women and one was a man, male. So you see what's going on there too. All of the uh, the killer in uh, the terrorist in uh, Boulder, Colorado, was charged with first degree murder on the spot, pretty much. I mean, it was barely 24 hours later. He was charged with first degree murder for killing all of those people. Now, again, I have to look at Georgia law and see if there is a first degree murder charge. I don't know if they do charge for first degree murder, but if so. Why is one state charging for first-degree murder, as they should, and Georgia not doing that in the case of these eight people who were killed, seven of them Asian, or six of them, and six of them, six of them Asian women, at least? Why, where's the first-degree murder charge there? One of the victims in the Atlanta terrorist attack was a white man. Everybody else was Asian. Or at least, or at least, I mean, or at least six of them were Asian. So why are you not charging for first degree murder in that case when it's a majority of people who are Asian being killed, but in the, and again, it's two different states. So, you know, again, apples and oranges, every state is different, right, in its approach. But I'm just doing this as a larger illustrative point that I'm trying to make here, that I'm making, which is why why first degree murder when all the victims are white? The 10 victims are white. But in a case where at least six, if not seven victims of the eight are Asian, you're not charging first degree murder, at least as far as I know in Georgia, you're not. I want to leave you with that, actually. I think that's the place that I will leave it. And I will get more information if there is indeed an official first degree murder charge. And I will follow up with you. Ultimately, we do, we do need to celebrate the lives of these people who have been tragically, senselessly, evilly taken from this planet. And we also have to make the culture that is a death culture into a life culture. And that has got to be done on so many different levels in this country. Certainly in the U.S. Senate, we have to start petitioning these folks right now. Some of these folks are running for re-election and they don't want to back background checks Joe Manchin, who is not running for re-election yet. 
he just had it. I think he just was elected in 2018 or 2020. I mean, really, I mean, and you're not supporting background checks, Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, and all these Republicans who aren't. You need to be knocking down their doors, metaphorically, of course, on Twitter and elsewhere. There's so many levels. So many levels. We've got to choose one and let's get involved and get active. Call your senator. Tell your senator. Tell your congressperson to act for gun sense laws and background checks. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.